You're listening to Object of Sound on Sonos Sound System, the show where we bring you in tune with the music that shapes our culture. When music lives in the air, it's one thing, but when you know the undercurrents and the ideas that went into a song and when you can feel its weight, it becomes more meaningful. I'm Hanif Abdurraqib, a poet and cultural critic, and I'll be your guide as we seek a deeper way of listening. My friend has a banner on her wall. It's a black banner with white text over it. The text says, there are black people in the future. It's a replica of Pittsburgh artist Alicia B. Wormsley's billboard that also said there are black people in the future. In 2018, this billboard hovered over a Pittsburgh building before it was removed. It was removed because people found the text offensive. They called into the city, they wrote city council until it was taken down. I've always been fascinated by this, both the billboard and its statement, but more importantly by its removal. The removal has always suggested to me that it wasn't the billboard that people found offensive, but the very idea of Black people being in the future. When I think about my friend's banner, and I think about Alicia Wormsley's billboard, and I think about the people who fought to get it taken down, I am thinking intimately about Afrofuturism, this week's theme. I first got introduced to the idea of Afrofuturism through Parliament Funkadelic, but I think there are a lot of people who are perhaps a generation older who got introduced to it by the jazz master Sun Ra. Who was not born as Sun Ra, of course, but who fashioned a mythology around himself or who, it can be said, found his living conditions in this country so unbearable that he had to dream up a world beyond it. Sun Ra insists that he was invited to outer space by aliens and was not human and was merely walking among us to share the gifts he had and then he would be gone before we even knew it. This upsetting of linear time and upsetting of geography really resonated with me as someone who often felt out of place in the places I was, so much so that I wanted to imagine myself or build a mythology for myself that situated me and the Black people I knew and loved in a world that was more tenable, in a world that was more comfortable. And so this came to life for me through music and through musicians like Sun Ra, who used the aesthetics of the modern world they lived in to create this idea or this persona that was definitely otherworldly. You know, bright colors and large clothing and crowns and all of these things that felt very much like you were witnessing someone who came from another place just briefly imparting their wisdom and ability on us while they were still here. I wanted to revisit the ideas I had around Afrofuturism and think of them now because so many of the Black people I know and talk to, specifically the organizers I know and talk to, are once again considering how to build a world that they cannot yet see but they know needs to exist. 
And I think that requires a broad imagination and it requires a well of things to pull from, be it music or literature or art as a tool of self-determination. And we're looking at it now in hopes that we can find some clarity about where we're going, but also celebrate where we've been and the people who lit a path for us to get here. So in this episode, we're going to look at Afrofuturism in a few different directions. You'll hear from the musician Sudan Archives, who has work and an aesthetic that speaks very much to the roots of Afrofuturism and honors those roots while pushing them a bit further. And you'll also hear from Kimberly Drew and Jenna Wortham, who recently published the book Black Futures. They were editors on this project and curated this really beautiful book of work from Black people who are thinking about the multitudinous nature of Black existence in the present and in the future. As part of every episode, I have a playlist that I guide you through, which you can hear over on Mixcloud. I'll be playing through a kind of lineage of Afrofuturist music, songs where Black musicians imagine worlds outside of this one. It ranges from The Sun by Alice Coltrane to Django Jane from Janelle Monet. And you can hear that on Mixcloud.com slash Sonos. We'll leave a link to the playlist in the show notes. You only call me when you need something. I need to be free. My guests this week are Sudan Archives, vocalist and violinist who I think embodies the ideas and sounds of Afrofuturism in her work, including on her celebrated 2019 genre-bending album, Athena. Also, I've got Kimberly Drew, a writer and curator who has dedicated a lot of her time to the uplift and archival of Black visual art. If you are familiar with the Tumblr contemporary Black art and the many gifts within, you are familiar with Kimberly Drew's work. And Jenna Wortham, who is a staff writer at New York Times Magazine, who is a co-host of the podcast Still Processing with Wesley Morris, which is a beautiful podcast to listen to. And Kimberly and Jenna have combined to edit the book Black Futures. So thank you all for being here. Hi. I wanted to talk to all of you today about the ways that Afrofuturism and the ideas around Afrofuturism have made themselves present in your work and in your lives. I think for me personally, it's just the wild aspiration that there will be Black people in the future, um, because I think this year, among many, has taught us that it's just not a guarantee. Our survival, um, our wellness, our um, our lives. And so I think for me, especially in a contemporary setting, I just am like, Afrofuturism is the idea that we will be, you know, afforded a tomorrow. And a wild-ass tomorrow, too. I mean, I remember coming across that Afrofuturism book by Waitasha Womack and just feeling like, okay, I belong here. Like, I don't know what this is, but I know this is for me. And the really exciting possibility of, you know, Blackness and the future of Blackness being center stage rather than a character on the margins. It's just this idea of, of what does it look like to have our, our stories be the center stories and beyond anything that's been kind of created for us before. Wait, Sudan, what about you? Do you have a definition of Afrofuturism? 
it's definitely like it's just supposed to be a way for us to connect, right? We should. It's like a way that we can actually like sit here on Zoom and like ask each other mm-hmm. questions. I love that. I love that as an organizing principle. Do you guys know who Francis Bay Baby is? He's my favorite yeah. Afrofuturist. Yeah. Oh, I want to look that up, Sudan. Oh my God, I'm gonna <laughs> send you the book. Like it changed my life. Like I feel like yeah, I want to say that's like my first introduction to Afrofuturism because mm. when I heard his music, everything clicked. I was like, oh my God. That's why I'm so obsessed with African string instruments. That's why I'm like, it's not weird. I just confuse it with technology. And that's like what Afrofuturism is, like taking the tools you have now to like express yourself. Like in the book, he talks about how they took like, you know, snakeskin and all these like, you know, all the tools around in the tribe to make like the first Stone Age violin. You want to see it? (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is just yes. (laughs) He talks about in the book, like, all of these string instruments. And I actually went to Ghana and this guy made this one for me, Louis Afrifa. But this is a goji. Oh, I love. So it's like a one string instrument. It's a gourd. And then there's, like, nailed skin over it and then like um horsehair is just the string can you play it another mic so this is how it sounds plucked wow oh my goodness <laughs> i'm so obsessed with this this is perfect <laughs> this is so perfect jenna do you have a musical entry point to afrofuturism um alice coltrane She's tapping into this very cosmic oneness that's very out of time for me. And so that to me kind of points directly to this idea of what it means to think about oneself in the future is also tapping into reimagining how one, you know, lives in the present and pulling in that past lineage and just kind of being in this sort of timeless orb. And then, of course, I remember seeing Janelle Monet like way back in the MySpace days and just being like, whatever this person is into, I want to be into. I'm an alien from outer space. I'm a cyber girl without a face, a heart or a mind. You know, I'm just like, this is my orientation in the world right here. This, everything about this. Janelle saved some lives. (laughs) You know, Erica Badu has said this thing about her debut album where she talks about how she wasn't creating it for that moment, that she was creating it for a generation that wasn't present yet. And I feel like early Janelle Monae was also on that wave. Kimberly, do you have a musical artist who, or a few musical artists who who opened that door for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Janelle is the first that popped to mind. And I love Jenna bringing Janelle's name into this space. Janelle Monae's, you know just like riffing, I'm an alien from out of space. Like it really did heal so much of like the younger version of myself that just needed a context. And I feel like Janelle was fighting for and continues to in many ways fight for this context for especially young black people that just feels like home. Um, I also feel like outcast. Out of this world like E.T. Coming across your TV. Extraterrestrial. Straight from A to air. Those two musical anchors were really profound and really important for me. Being a kid of the 90s, um, it was definitely, you know, ATL, like Atlanta's incredible impact on all things that are great and Black. Um, The Mecca, one of the many Meccas for us. A thing that I've been thinking about lately 
is how how many of the political frameworks that I and the people around me operate in revolve around and almost require building towards a world that is not yet visible or kind of building the thing that we're traveling in towards the world we can't see. And I'm, I'm interested in hearing from you all about how the, the music of our folks, of, of Black folks, is shaping that future along with us. You know, all summer I heard people ask about, well, where's the protest music that, that we used to get? Which, to be clear, there was also protest music happening this summer, but I think people were thinking about a very specific type of creation when I think some of the artists I was most interested in were in the mold of Miss Badu, creating for a, a generation that hadn't yet come to fruition. So starting with Sudan, I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk about how your music is helping to shape and envision a future. You know, I think about how much of your last album I listened to and thought, well, this feels like it is building a planet that is not a planet I can see. I feel like technology is just so important right now. Like you guys were talking about Janelle Monet, and I even feel like Erica Badu, like that's like an artist that made a world ahead of her time and stuff like that. But those people impacted me, and but people like Santi Gold and stuff really did too. Me seeing that at a young age really put an impact on me because I was like, oh, I don't have to have a band or I don't have to, I can just like get a piece of gear and go on stage and like that's my set. Like when I started making music on my iPad, that's when things started clicking for me. So being able to have like access to technology like that, does that make sense? I feel like that's like the vital thing. I'm glad you brought up Santi Gold because I remember seeing her live when I was young. It was just kind of her and her machines. It felt, again, like that very much like building the world as you are imagining it. Kimberly and Jenna, I'm going to ask Kimberly this one. Tell me about Black Futures and what inspired it. So Black Futures is a book baby that Jenna and I came together to make. It started really informed by a lot of Black music, actually, and thinking about um, Afrofuturist principles like one of our first meetings, we sat down and we're talking about We Shall Overcome as like an early kind of Afrofuturist statement. Um, you know, that trust and belief that we will move through this moment, we will, you know, survive. And I think for both of us, we wanted to create a book, a text that could be something that would outsurvive all of us, um, that could be a record of our times, that could be a holding space for so much of the beautiful interconnectivity that happens and has continually happened throughout history in terms of Black culture, but especially for our generation, the generation that is most informed by social media. It's been really interesting to hear how many people asked us if the book was a work of science fiction because the book feels like a prompt, like a possibility, like a new world. And it felt to a lot of people like something they hadn't seen in that form, that it was imagining a new way of archiving and documenting and thinking about how valuable all of our contributions are, especially when we get our arms around them and put them in the same place rather than like consuming them one at a time via YouTube or via Twitter or via whatever. And that was exciting too. Kimberly, I'm going to bounce back to you because I know you are... Uh, I mean, all of you are fashionable in your own own ways. But Kimberly, I feel like you have a very intense relationship with fashion. And I'm thinking about LaBelle. I'm, I'm always thinking about LaBelle. But when talking about like old, um, old music that felt new by way of aesthetic, I was thinking about the LaBelle spacesuits um, that they wore in their kind of Nightbirds era or the, the large plumage that they wore that made them feel like they were 
actually getting ready to go to space. And I'm, I'm wondering if you are seeing anything now, fashion-wise, in music that makes you feel like an artist could be from another world. Of course, like, there's Sun Ra in, in the orchestra and, and how they adorn themselves. But I, I always go back to LaBelle because they move so fluidly between fashions and then they kind of hit on that, the space suits in the 70s. Are there any artists now who you look at and you go like, that person is maybe not from this planet? Lou, like 10,000%, very easy answer. Um, Kelsey Lou, I think, has, through art direction and through styling, really made such a stamp, I think, on my brain. Um, I feel like they really revolutionize and communicate so much through gesture and fashion. And then obviously being here with Sudan, like your colors episode, I was just like, this person (laughs) is so incredible. Like, and I just was like, whoa, I didn't know what you looked like. I had been listening to your music. And I was just like, this is a whole other level of articulation. Um, There's such a force (laughs) of power. And I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Um, There's this Brazilian artist that I follow. Her name is Major. And Major is like almost always in like crystals. But shout out to, you know, Majure and that whole crew of creatives. Um, but I feel like between the three of y'all, like, especially as powerful femme folks in the world, like, this is the future the liberals want. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like, it's so weird because before, I mean, I feel like my fashion is always changing. And now I'm like super into like baby fat and like black brands Like, I'm just trying to wear what I wore in high school now. Like, for my next album, I'm just like, I'm about to give y'all, like, the high school, like, susu. Like, I'm just about to take it back, you know? I think refashioning our present and future selves in the models and modes of our past selves is also a type of uh, robust futurism. Particularly, like, I think for me, who could not often afford that type stuff when I was coming up. Sneakers especially. Like, I was a big sneaker person and couldn't afford any. You know, at the time, I loved, like, Sean John and Fat Farm and stuff. But I couldn't, like, afford any of that stuff. (laughs) I think there's a way that those revivals of of those fashions serve our impulse to to redo our our past selves into a better future self. I think that there's something so dope about, like, Parliament or Maggot Brain or thinking about these, like, groups and eras that were, like, completely building and terraforming a new world and defining for themselves how they wanted to, to be seen and observed. And then our generation taking that same kind of principle. Like, I think that that's something is, like, a form of Black resilience that's so valuable and I think should be talked about more, especially in our self-fashioning. Because you think about something like the Black Panther Party, for example, which is almost exclusively known through their imagery and very little is known about their actual work and programming. The optics around what we do is so powerful and travels so quickly. But on an interior level, being able to self-fashion is such a tremendous agency to take And so it's just such an interesting thing. I'm really glad that you asked the question. Thank you to Sudan Archives and Kimberly Drew and Jenna Wortham. This was delightful. I hope that uh, one day when we can leave our basements and our homes and our little corners of the the world, uh, when it's safe to do so, I hope we can run into each other somewhere. Yes. Thanks for having us. So nice to see you guys in Zoom. (laughs) This was really sweet. Thank you for having us. To the Afro future. (laughs) Yeah. That was Sudan Archives, Kimberly Drew, and Jenna Wortham. You can listen to Sudan Archives' album, Athena, and follow her at Sudan Archives. Kimberly Drew and Jenna Wortham's book, Black Futures, is out now from One World. 
Kimberly is online at Museum Mammy and Jenna at Jenny Deluxe. A final thought. This episode and this conversation wouldn't be complete without acknowledging the work of Octavia Butler. I love Octavia Butler, and she was my entry point when it comes to literature uh, and thinking about Afrofuturism. And her story has always fascinated me. She was born to a father who shined shoes, and then when he passed away, she was left to be raised by her mother, who worked as a maid. And Octavia Butler would accompany her mother to work and, and cleaning white people's homes. And she has talked before about how being in those homes was kind of like being invisible, where you could only be seen due to the labor you would produce. And there's something about that that was fascinating to me, too, to think about how her work eventually came to fruition and how she manifested a really wide range of imagination through her work. It's just a matter of behaving as though the world were a little bit more as you wish it were in some way. So my characters, um, who are often black and female, behave as though they have no limitations. A thing about Octavia Butler's work is that she was fearless in the articulation of a sometimes fearful reality for Black people and for the futures they might inhabit. And I'm very thankful for that. As someone who's a, a bit of a realist and sometimes a cynic, I'm, I'm very thankful for Octavia Butler for that reason, too. If you are reading closely enough and listening closely enough to her work, her interviews, there are ways that she has kind of built bridges between Afrofuturism in literature and in music. And so she's kind of been present in contemporary music, which most recently can be heard on the Jamila Woods song, Octavia, from her album, Legacy, Legacy. I find myself really thankful for the work of Octavia Butler and for her vision to see worlds beyond this world and how she wrote those worlds. I appreciate the fact that in the world she wrote, there was suffering like the suffering I understood, that even in space there could still be pain. There were still codes that could be switched. And so I'm thankful that she still wrote Black people as human, even when she wrote them as something greater. It used to be the worst crime to write a line. As we close out, this is an invitation to find an entry point or a re-entry point into someone Black writing about a world other than the one we're living in. This has been Object of Sound on Sonos Sound System. Thank you to our guests this week, Sudan Archives, Jenna Wortham, and Kimberly Drew. To hear all the music in the full version of this show, listen on Sonos Radio or find us on Mixcloud. And while you're there, check out some of the other great shows on Sonos, including Radio Hours with Dolly Parton, Tom York, FKA Twigs, JPEG Mafia, Brittany Howard, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you love this show, rate it and share it with your friends. Also, tell us what you like about the show and what you're listening to. This is a communal thing, music discovery. You can reach us at objectofsound at sonos.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sonos Radio. This show is produced by Work by Work, Scott Newman, Gemma Rose Brown, Skylar Swenson, and by me, Hanif Abdurraqib. The show is mixed by Sam Baer and Josh Hahn. Extra gratitude to Joe Dawson and Saida Blount at Sonos. 
I'm always talking about music online on Instagram and Twitter at Neef Muhammad. Thank you for listening.